Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. And we also have PDFs available for download on our website, Grove.Church. And as you're reading along or you're listening along with us, we would love for you to engage in the conversation. Uh, and the way, the easiest way to do that is by uh, asking us questions. Uh, so if you've got questions that come up while you're reading scripture or you're listening to us talk about passages of scripture, we would love for you to send those questions in. And you can do that one of two ways. One, you can send us an email at info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line, a let's read the Bible podcast question. Or you can jump on the Grove Church Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington, and you can DM us there. That means direct message. You can just message us right yeah. there in Facebook. We get those questions and we try to answer them on a weekly basis. So Which, send them in. That is how our question came in this week. Direct message Hello. from Facebook. Thank you, Facebook world. All right. Well, this week and next week, well, a little bit of inside baseball listeners. We're actually Uh-oh. recording these two episodes back to back because I'll be on vacation. So this is, we're recording on Thursday, August, I should look at the 18th. date, 18th, 19th, you lied to me. Thursday. My mind is still on Wednesday. <laughs> Thursday, August 19th, we're recording to you. And then this Saturday, I'm heading out for vacation. So if you go to the church and you, you get s- vacation, I do. So if you go to the church wow. and you, s- you don't see me on Sunday, let's be honest, why would you? Because normally I'm like in the yeah, no, you're in the booth. Yeah, you're hiding in a room anyways. But maybe, I don't know, maybe you look through the window and you see me and then you wonder why I'm not there. That's why I'm not there. Dear yep. listeners, I so, believe it. There you go. Uh, but we would do not want to leave you hanging, so we will be recording this week. We're doing Zephaniah, and then next week we'll do an episode on Malachi, and that'll wrap up all the minor prophets. So we actually did. Evan was pretty adamant. We were reading Zephaniah in the reading plan this week. We're not reading Malachi the following way around. Week. Oh, just kidding. Really? So next week we are reading Malachi. Zephaniah is not in the reading plan for this oh, week. But it would. I misunderstood that. Okay. It would have bothered me. For until my deathbed, <laughs> to not just do the it's last, a dramatic, the but... last, the last minor prophet. Yep. So, so we're gonna do that. We're doing Zephaniah next week. You're actually gonna be reading Malachi. We're doing Malachi, but then yeah. So if you ever want to know about the minor prophets, if you search in the archive, or I think most of them are still on Apple Podcasts. Only saves the most recent 100, which I thought was kind of funny. But... That's sad. But anyway. You can go to our webpage, grove.church. Yeah, if click you go there, resources. the archive is there as well. But you can search out any minor prophet you want. There will be an episode on it. So there hey, you go. You're we, welcome. We're just checking that box for you. The funny thing is I actually don't, it's, I don't think very many listeners this week are caring about when we're recording the podcast next week. But now you know a little bit of insider information. Yeah, so yeah. Sometimes keep people it like hush, to, hush. Sometimes don't tell anybody. People like to feel like they got a peek behind the curtain. So we're not just a giant green face. Yeah, but I think we're pretty we're pretty we're pretty transparent anyways. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So as far as resources that we're using today, we have the ESV study bible, Logos Bible software, the Reformation Study Bible, and the Essence of the Old Testament, a survey by Ed Hinson and Gary Yates. So kind of the, the classic basics heavy hitters that we've got there. All right. So Zephaniah, we're gonna be talking about him today. Uh, he is a couple interesting things. We don't know a ton about him, which again, minor prophet. Isn't surprising. That's the way it happens. But we do know a little bit. We we can, I guess we can uh, infer a little bit more about him than we can other prophets. It's so, true. Uh, Zephaniah is given the longest genealogy of any prophet in the Bible. And yes, I went to every book just to make <laughs> sure that that was accurate. So uh, most of the prophets are given, it's their name and their father's name. So it's, you know, Evan, son of Thomas. Um, a few of them are just their names looking at you, Obadiah. So just like, that's all Thanks we a lot. get. Uh, or in the case of like Micah, it's just his name, but then we get where he's from. So, you know, Ooh. a little bit nice there. Uh, and then one prophet, I should have written down which one it was, but one prophet gets his grandfather in there. 
So there you go. It's, uh, I don't uh, remember. I should have written it down. Oh, well. Anyway, that happens. But Zephaniah uh, goes back even more generations. So it's the word of the Lord. This is Zephaniah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. So that's his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, and his great-great-grandfather. And if you're thinking to yourself, Hezekiah. I know where, that name. Where have I heard that before? Uh, that is the name of the king of Judah and one of the last great kings of Judah, or even good kings. Like even if we lower the bar, he's one of the last ones there. Uh, and it's unique because with this genealogy, one thing that we can infer is that the Hezekiah mentioned is probably actually King Hezekiah. Because otherwise, why would you um, why would you make such a big deal about going mm-hmm. four gen- five generations back, four generations back yeah. um, when you could just say Zephaniah. Son of Cushy. Son of Cushy. Yeah. If the, if the line wasn't important. So that's kind of, we, we infer from yeah. that, that it's actually the same Hezekiah. Yeah. And one of the things even scripturally, just to, I mean, again, we hit, we hit this whenever we talk about just gene- genealogies, but there's, there's a purpose for them. Uh, the book of Matthew, when he talks about the genealogy of Christ, there's a purpose to it. The book of Luke, right. same thing. There's a purpose to it. They're trying to attach um, their, their, they themselves to a, a historical lineage for a reason. Yep. So, L- Much like the hobbits in Tolkien's <laughs> beloved classic, Lord of the Rings, the Jews love their genealogies. So, and we see that all throughout the Bible. There's your, there's your connection point for this week. So. I remember starting the podcast years <laughs> ago. It feels like years ago that that was always like, there has to be a Lord of the Rings reference. Then we got away from it. So, but Evan will bring it back every once in a while. It's a good time. All righty. So we are assuming that this is the same King Hezekiah of Judah. And it's an interesting connection point because Zephaniah's ministry takes place during the reign of King Josiah. Uh, If you're thinking that sounds familiar, it's because King Josiah, King Josiah, King Josiah, King Josiah is the last good king. Yeah. (laughs) And he's he's a great king. I would would put him among the greats. Yeah, he's a great king. Um, But really it goes Hezekiah great king. His son is the worst. His grandson is the worst. Josiah's a great king. Yep. His son is the worst. Jerusalem falls is yep. kind of how, or is it his grandson? I don't remember which one it is, but anyway, one of them. Yeah, Josiah is the last great stand. So and I think, I think it is important because it's Zephaniah's ministry. And I think his genealogy connects him and kind of reminds Josiah of his ancestor who I can't remember if Hezekiah is Josiah's great grandfather or great, great grandfather. But anyway, um, I should have looked that up. But it connects him to that point, basically saying, here's what the nation can go back to. Here's what you as king can do. So kind of a cool deal. Um, As far as the dating goes, we know it takes place during the reign of Josiah, but there is some debate as to whether or not this happens at the beginning or the end. Uh, For instance, I think it was the Hmm. ESV study Bible was actually contends for an end date where it's towards the end of King Josiah's reign. And the argument is basically, look, like even with reforms, the people of Judah are, can be sinful as well. I tend to hold that it's before the reform. If you, and I guess to rewind a little bit. So Josiah becomes king at eight years old. Yeah. Um, so if I remember that Sunday school, cause I was eight and I was like, I could be king. I, <laughs> there's a world where I could rule. <laughs> but anyway. And he hasn't <clears> let that go since. No, I, I, I'm 28 now. And I should have been king. This should be the years ago, bro. This should be the twentieth year of my reign. <laughs> but any, anyway, getting away from all of that. Uh, so Josiah is a great king, but he doesn't start off 
um, great because he's eight. Yeah. So it, I think I believe is it when he's sixteen that the law is brought before him. It's when he's a he's still a young man, but yeah. he's not. He's a teenager at this point. Yeah. yeah. The law is brought before him, and essentially it's been kind of lost. Like they're like, hey, like here's all the law of God, and Josiah's like, wait a second, and yeah. then there's massive and he reform. repents and reestablishes the 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 law as, as yeah. priority. So for me, the or so so much of Zephaniah is an oracle of judgment. I just don't think it fits if it's all taking, like if the people of Israel are repenting, Josiah is leading them into the proper mm-hmm. worship of Yahweh. And then Zephaniah comes and is like, woe to you, Judah. Like that doesn't seem to fit with yeah. me. No, and so. I, I actually agree with you. Um, I didn't put my stuff in because as I was looking into researching, I pretty much agreed with most of what I haven't put in here. So I didn't have to change much. Yay. Um, but yeah, I the same thing. I, I actually didn't see the ESV's uh, stance for late in Josiah's reign. So I, I've seen it in the It could beginning. have been. It makes sense. It's, it could have been one of the other resources, but I thought it was the ESV. Well, and I didn't look at the ESV, so. Oh, gotcha. But yeah. So I, I'm right there with it. I think the his, uh, Zephaniah's prophetic ministry was during, uh, leading up to the reform. Yep. So there you go. And then Ed and Gary added again, three sections. I'm just, we're just <laughs> taking all of their, I feel bad because we'll look at different outlines. We're giving see, them credit though. Yeah. We look at different outlines to see which ones are kind of the best for the way that we talk or the way that, or even just the way that we like the outlines of the book, yeah. but. It just helps us with the podcast yeah. outline. The essence of the Old Testament, crushing the outlines these yeah. last few episodes. I didn't like the uh, the one that I used last week, um, the survey one that I had. So oh, there you go. that's why it's not mentioned at all. So we've got the judgment of Israel, the judgment of the nations, and the justification of the remnant. So three J's. But we'll start off here with the judgment of Israel, which is uh, chapter one, verse one through chapter two, verse three. And Zephaniah, oh, also I should have mentioned this before. The day of the Lord, big theme in Zephaniah. Yes, it I, is it's like the primary theme yep. in Zephaniah is the day of the Lord. So we're gonna we're gonna hear a lot about that. Um, and then just as a reminder, day of the Lord is actually it's day of the day of Yahweh. Yeah. So he's saying our personal God. His day is coming. Zephaniah comes in hot. And it's a day of judgment. Yep. Starting in verse two, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Also, this is not an empty threat. It's happened before. Uh, I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off the remnant from this place. Uh, I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priest uh, along with the priests. As a reminder, Baal is a god that, for whatever reason, Israel really struggled with. Like yeah. there's other gods that come and go. Yeah, but he's a constant. From the get go, Baal is, I don't know, just like a, a good looking god, apparently, just the harvest. Good times. He's got people easily wooed by Baal. Apparently, yeah. At least it's not Molech, because as we know, listeners, Molech is the worst. Yep. So, uh, those who should, be, should we rank the uh, do an fake episode gods. ranking the gods? Like the one, the one who requires child sacrifice. Mo- Molech is the standard. Tier He's the worst. Tier one. Bad god. Yeah. False god. Anyways. Anyway, uh, so those who bow down on the roofs, those. Uh, to the host of heaven and those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, who is another God that we don't hear uh, much about. There is some thought that it could be Molech, in which case the worst, but I don't know. I don't, I'm not super convinced about that. Uh, Those who have turned from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him, be silent before the Lord God for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. 
And on that, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and with fraud. Sweet. Boom. All right. That's fun. Coming in hot. So he's not... Uh, yeah, there's just a bunch of judgment going on. And this is why, to me, it really fits with just the absolute depravity that happens with Hezekiah's yeah. son and his grandson. I don't remember which one. It's Ahaz, right, is the one who's particularly evil. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if that's his son or his grandson, though. But it's, it's one of them. One of the but two. Yes, he, yeah, he's horrible. Yeah. So the, the idea is, like, it's really just, it's been a rough, it's been a rough few generations for Israel and God's judgment is coming. It's mm-hmm. coming in hot. It's coming in swift. Um, and it's even this idea, there's almost this idea that it's, um, there's no way out yeah. at this point. And I think it's kind of, there's a way to delay it. And we'll see that with Josiah who turns back to the Lord and the Lord's like, all right, listen, it's not going to happen under your reign not yet. with your people. But I think there's really, there's, there's no longer this idea of turn back and it won't happen anymore. It's kind of a done deal. Yeah. At this point, the, the I mean, Dare I say it this way? The the snowball has already started down the hill. Ooh. Um, there's no way. There's no way out. And and God's talking about the the coming, the coming day of the Lord is is not is not something to be to bat an eye. And we talked about this a couple of episodes ago. But yeah, it's it's not a it's not a, a wonderful like oh this could happen. But it's like nope, it's on its way. Yep. So there you go. Um, Yahweh, <clears throat> however, is not only judging Israel in this next section which we'll call the judgment of the nations. And this is from 2.4 to 2.15. Uh, Zephaniah's message is shifted to the nations. So mm-hmm. he covers, and there's a bunch. Uh, we don't, I don't think we read all of the verses about them, but uh, Philist- Philistia, 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 Philistia. Uh, the land of the Philistines, that's, that's in there. Uh, Moab, Ammon, Cush, and Assyria are all among the things um, all among the nations, particularly Nineveh, much in the same way, I guess, that you would say like so much of God's judgment comes particularly on Jerusalem as like kind of the symbol of his city. A lot of the judgment for the overall empire of Assyria is directed at Nineveh. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, And the main message is a terrifying one (laughs) because it says, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, which by the way, as I live, that's eternity. God God lives. Uh, the Lord declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah. And you might be thinking, where's Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't know. They were wiped off the they're, face of the they're, earth. They're, so they're gone. There might be ashes. They're an ash heap. There is a, some interesting, this is total side note. Um, there's some interesting studies that actually talk about the locations of possibly being by the Dead Sea and some of the things that could have actually caused the sea to get a little bit salty. So... There you go. Just uh, if you want to really? look that up really? later. Yeah. That's it's, interesting. Uh, I forgot where, and this is like, I do not recommend or endorse because I don't remember them. I just remember reading that a while ago and thinking it was interesting. So I think it was one of my archaeology textbooks. Hmm. But anywho, that's a complete side note, listeners. Let's get back to- Was that on Wikipedia? Yeah, I'm just kidding. Wikipedia. Let's get back to scripture. Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. So remember at this point, there is already talk about a remnant, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about. Which is hopeful. Yep. And so much of the Bible, it's interesting how much, how little of the Bible we talk about where it's concerned with the remnant. Cause I feel like the one really well-known story of that is Esther. Yeah. And even then it's not really a remnant because they're out. Like the remnant is the people who come back to Israel but we don't really talk about Ezra, yeah, Nehemiah. Remnant typically has a, a post-exilic um, 
tone to it where when God's people are exiled, when they're removed from the country, God's going to save a group, um, a small portion of what was right. and, re- and bring them back to reestablish his kingdom and principles. So um, that's, that's what a remnant really is, yeah. but it's that picture. And we'll talk about that more next week with Malachi. Ooh. Uh, ooh, teaser. This shall be their lot in return for their pride because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. This is talking about Moab and the Ammonites yep. here. The Lord will be awesome against them. I love that. <laughs> awesome like, against them. We don't use that word the way it's meant to be used today. It's true. For he awesome, by the way, just means something so great that it inspires awe within you. Um, Not like awesome. Everything is awesome. (laughs) Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Uh, (laughs) The Lord will be awesome against them for he will famish the gods of the earth and to him shall bow down each in its place, all the lands of the nations. Also you, O Cushites, shall be slain by the sword and he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria and he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst, all kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot uh, in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. In this exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. So I... I do love that picture where if there's one thing that God gets after, it's pride. Yeah. And so I, I love the picture of this Nineveh, right? It's who they're still talking about. Uh, that said in her heart, I am, I am, which that in itself is a bold statement. And yeah. there is no one else. You can see that God is, is very happy to, uh, to show them that that is not the case. Yeah. So well, it, it, it parallels a bit Nebuchadnezzar in his story. Like, look what I have done. Look how great I am. Yeah, that's a good and, point. And God <laughs> casts him down to the field. He fulfills a prophetic word there too. But Yeah, the people Classic don't... Nebuchadnezzar. That's what you were going to say. I was. <laughs> I stopped myself. I got you, bro. All right. Well, finally, though, uh, we're going to get to the last section. Uh, this is through the end of Zephaniah, and it's, we're calling it the justification of the remnant. And Zephaniah's final chapter begins with more oracles of judgment against Judah and the surrounding nations. However, like so many of the prophets, that is not how his message ends. I forgot which of the resources I was reading, but I did think this was interesting. I didn't write it down, but it was talking about how more than any of the minor prophets, Zephaniah basically feels like one of the major prophets, just in miniature, Hmm. where the format that he uses is very similar to what you'd see in Isaiah, for instance, where it's a lot of oracles of judgment. And then at the end, there's this offer of... um, Hope. Yeah, exactly. So the I end, never thought about that. Uh, yeah. So the end of it, this is Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 20. And this is through the end of the book. It says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord of hosts, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change the shame, their shame into praise all and renown in all the earth. And at that time, I will bring you in, 
at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned in praise among the, all the peoples of the earth. I will restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So there you go. It's this picture of eventual restoration, I guess is what we can call it. And I think that's the, that's the promise of a lot of the prophetic books is that there are going to be hard times that come, but there will be a day um, when it is no longer. And that's kind of what we get to with uh, even last week talking through Haggai. And just the whole idea of um, the tone shifting from this, basically this coming doom to, hey, you're falling short. Here's how to change that. So, and that's what we sort of begin to see there. So, yeah. And I I think that's the, I mean, it's, it's, I I hadn't thought about the comparison of the major prophets like Isaiah, where there's the, the, Isaiah starts a little differently, right? But the 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 judgment and the wrath and the and the, the negative, like the horrible and heavy conversations that he has to have on behalf of his people. But then coming back to the end of it with hope, I mean, the majority of the prophets do that, but it is, I think, so so encouraging and a reminder that there is consequences, there is wrath, there is punishment. But at the end of the day, God's desire is redemption. God's desire is reconciliation. That's that's the. I mean, for the lack of a better way to put it, an overly simplistic thing right. is that that's the that's the heartbeat of the Bible. It's it's God revealing um, His heart to redeem and reconcile humanity back to Himself um, because of His love for us. And so I think it, it's as much as you know we can read um, read the oracles of judgment. We shouldn't just skip past them. We've got to stop and recognize that God is serious when it comes to sinfulness and rejection and disobedience. He's serious about that, but his love and his grace is is always in the discipline that exists. I mean, so I think it's it's really, it is a, it is a fun, simple picture. And I love the book of Zephaniah. I think there's some really strong passages that I've always enjoyed reading, but um, the last bit of it there is really encouraging, I think, for us. Yeah. It's been, I mean, we're doing one more, but I, I have really loved this tour through the minor prophets because we really just don't talk. We don't talk about them that yeah. much. And in most reading plans, you you kind of crank through them right. like, pretty quickly. So it, there's oftentimes not time to let them breathe or um, to really stop and reflect. And so that's why I think it's been fun for us to to take some time to read uh, through the minor prophets a little bit slower because we're going to be talking about them. Uh, because yeah, I agree with you. I think I don't know if I've ever done do the due diligence in stopping. Re, to read right. uh, the Minor Prophets beyond just checking them off my reading plan. So. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, we're going to move on to our question today. Uh, but before we do, just as a reminder, please leave us a five-star review. Uh, it just helps get the podcast out there to more people uh, and to continue to grow this community of people reading the Bible together. So if you could take the time to do that, that'd be swell. Yeah, we'd love for you to do that. All right. So question says, hello, O esteemed podcasters of Let's Read the Bible fam. Thank you for using our proper, um, our proper titles. Our proper titles. Uh, can you contextualize the first half of 1 Corinthians 6 from the daily reading plan? It talks about lawsuits and dealing with them inside the church. How should this work in practice? Is there an upper limit to the severity? For example, if there was a punch up in the lobby, those <laughs> I love that idea. Uh, those people would get a talking to, but if one brandishes a weapon, maybe that should go to an actual court. Okay. Then it'd be tackled. No, I'm just kidding. There you go. All right. So uh, first thing I want to say about this. So it's it's referencing um, a passage in 1 Corinthians 6. Could you look that up? I, should, yeah. I meant to put it in the notes. So I'm, I'm 
I'm looking at the notes where there's scripture lesson. I, I feel like a fool. Um, but the first thing I want to say is that this is a really open-handed question. So me and Aaron are going to have opinions. I think we disagree a little bit, um, but the more we talked about it, I think the more we actually kind of lined up. But um, this is very much something that as Christians, we can disagree as far as the proper interpretation of this passage goes. You want me to read the whole passage? Um, let's, well, yeah, just the just the lawsuits. Part. Yeah, so just the, it's the first, what, uh, 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 6 there. It says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before un- the unrighteous instead of the saints? Uh, or do you not know that the saints will be, judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Uh, do you not know that there are, that we are to judge angels? How much more than must uh, matters pertaining to this life? So, if you have any such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle the dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and the, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral their dollars nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god and such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of lord jesus christ and by the spirit of our god and that's evan standard version the esv but, oh you went you didn't go csb for the reading got you bro wow, look at you it's because that was the last version i was reading on my phone oh that's funny so that's why i came up but okay so all like a lot a lot of words just talking about the paul's calling out um the the corinthian church and going and taking each other fellow christians to to courts to unbelieving people to determine a dispute right is what he's calling out so, okay, all of that groundwork late, so let's talk about a few different things to keep in yeah. mind with this. Number one, um, as Christians, we are called to radical grace and forgiveness. What? And I think we, dude, it's funny to me, like, I know it's like, you say like what sarcastically. <laughs> no, but it's true. Dude, it's it's crazy to me how often, because um, I think it's just one of those sins that we don't talk about, mm-hmm. right? It's like one of the, the popular ones. Um, but you, cause you'll hear people say like, well, I just can't forgive them. It's like, well, hold on. Like, that's like, that's not biblical. like, that's a sin. Like what you just said oh, is like, like you, like that's not, not the same sin, but we like, I just lost some listeners. Uh, maybe. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's basically like saying like, I'm going to go murder them. Like that's like, but you would never say that and think to yourself, this is a right thing to say. Um, yeah. but the idea of, um, the idea of not offering the grace and the forgiveness that God gives us every day, yeah. the idea of not offering that to other people, that is sinful. So that's that, I think that's number one. We have to remember that. Um, and it's it's the same thing with the parable of the unforgiving servant, where when we say, yeah. you know, this person wronged me and I'm never going to forgive, like whatever it is. And I don't want to make light of it because there are some things that are really, really serious. Yeah. But in light of what God has done for us, yeah. it, is a, it is a rather wicked thing to not extend that forgiveness to others. So that's number one. What I think, I think the other side of that too is, is we've got to remember our standard for forgiving is not peer to peer. It's not human to human. It's as a Christian, our call is to become like Christ, to lay down our lives, our rights, our perspectives, to take on his. That's the mantle God is giving us as believers. And he's the standard with which we forgive. To the same degree that he has forgiven us. Now, if we now some of us have been seriously offensive, but the reality is sin is seriously offensive. Go back to what we just talked about. Sin is a big deal. And I think we sometimes fall short and we get very self-focused. Go back to the pride conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we get very much self-aware and miss out on, on, I guess, a Christ-centric awareness. Like we, we miss that. And so radical forgiveness is a mandatory reality. And, and you, you said it the second time around, but when we say I can't forgive them, it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. We need to change the word that I can't to yeah. I won't. Because we can forgive. By the grace of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he can bring forgiveness and healing in our hearts and in our bodies and our being. But it's that we choose not to. God has given us the ability to choose wisely. It's whether or not we decide to do that is up to us. So, and I, I, yeah, I will, I will never forget <clears throat> watching. I thought you were going to say I will never forgive. I will never forget. <laughs> no, there was. This is a story. It was a couple years ago now. Um, but there was a man. I wish I could remember. I think the man who was killed was named Botham Jean, and it was his brother. I could be getting that backwards though. But there was um. Um, a woman who was um, an off-duty police officer. I remember this. Yep, and the door and, and was the open, and she thought it was her apartment, and then she opened fire, and she, and she killed a man. Um, and so she was found guilty of, I forgot what level of murder, yeah. but she was found guilty of murder. Um, and in the court, the brother of the man who was killed, with, I mean, tears in his eyes, just basically gave a speech about how he forgives her. Mm. And I, I and then he goes and gives her a hug at oh the end of, at the end of the, so his speech. It was so powerful. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, like when, every time I think of what radical forgiveness looks like, I think I picture him mm -hmm. and I wish I, I wish I had his name in front of me right now, but, um, it's, it's just, an, I would, it's on YouTube, like look yeah. it up. It's incredible. Um, the other point that Paul's making here, and this is less of a, I guess, theological point, but it's more of, you don't want to make the church look bad. And when I say the church, I mean, capital C, just the institution of the church, um, but what he's saying is like, yeah, when all of these Christians are bringing each other to court all the time and infighting, what it makes it look like is that you're not unified and you're not showing the love of Christ yeah. that you're saying that you're supposed to be showing. In the same way today, like someone the other day posted on Facebook, and Facebook is not the place where you have like, you know. <laughs> what? It's not the place for intelligent conversation. I understand that. But someone posted something, it was like an article about um, some church that was doing like financially really shady things and like with their money and stuff like that. And then the, 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 the tagline that the person put was like, well, the church is a scam. And so on the one hand, we can talk about how like, hey, like you can't just take one church and then just, or even like a small subset of churches and then just apply that broadly over the tens of thousands of churches that there yeah. are in the country. Um, on the other hand, what that church did was wicked and evil. Yep. And what, and, and through that, um, they're making not just their church look bad, they're making the church look bad. Yep. And that's what Paul's concerned with here too, as well. So it's- yeah. Those two, those are two things to have in mind. As far as just kind of the practicals of this, I think what Paul is calling us to as Christians is this idea of arbitration outside of court. I guess to be really practical, um, and so the idea would be if we're wronged by someone inside of the church, our first, um, our first instinct should be to actually just go to them and solve it within the church. And it's even kind of like what Jesus says in. Um, Right before the, I think it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18. Yeah, Matthew, there you go. In Matthew 18, where it's, you know, if, De if, your, bro with conflict. Yeah, if your brother sins against you, go and talk with him. If he won't listen, then go and bring two or three. If he still won't listen, then go and bring basically like the church. And then if it still doesn't listen, then at that point, like. You, you almost got ties and you yeah, expel you, them. Yeah, you like wash you, your hands. Yeah, you move on. Um, so I think, I think our first instinct when we feel like someone has wronged us so, you know, say it's like, you know, a business transaction, say, and we hire someone within the church and we feel like they kind of, one way or the other, they defrauded, they defrauded us a little bit. Well, the first instinct should be to go to them and see if they're willing to make amends for it. 
If they're not, the second would be to set a meeting with a, a Christian elder, pastor, someone that you trust, someone who has some spiritual authority, and then seeing if you can work through it from there. Uh, I think most of us agree on that. The, the next pa- passage is really where Paul says, would you not rather be defrauded? And that's really where we have to make the judgment call. Um, with civil cases like that, like at what point is the image of the church, capital C, mm-hmm. um, and is it, at what point is the grace and forgiveness that we can offer people, um, at what point does that take precedence over righting a wrong, I suppose, is a way to look yeah. at it. So, And that's a hard one. And there are, there's also a balance, and this is why it's so open-handed, because in Romans, Paul talks about how to the government is given authority. So I, I would say, like, I don't think this is, yeah. I don't think Paul here is talking about, like, murder or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and he's not or, anti-court system. Right, because uh, he, he talks about how, you know, the the government is appointed by God, and one of their jobs is justice. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of different moving parts here. Mm-hmm. Where I kind of land is as much as possible we should be settling things inside of the church. And then as much sound like I got emotional there. I wasn't I just, <laughs> you just gotta <laughs> settle things. the church uh, as much as possible. We should be settling things inside of the church and we should always be looking for how do we show as much grace as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I land on it, which I know isn't super helpful because it's not like definitive. Yeah. I think, and it, I mean, you said that, we'd kind of disagree on. I think it's hard. I think it's, there are cases where going practically to the 21st century today, right? I think there's cases where um, charges need to be pressed, where you got to invoke the authorities in regarding specifically police and the court systems and, and things like that. Specifically, one of the things he was talking about too is suing each other. Like it was, that was part of it. Like right. the, the, the being, you know, defrauded or, and it wasn't even Paul's thing too. Well, like it wasn't even, massive amounts of money. It was like, it was like we, so a sports analogy, like we talk about ticky tack fouls all the time in, yeah. during the NFL season. Like that's just a ticky tack. He barely touched him or in basketball. That's just a ticky tack. And they all get called he against flopped. the Seahawks. Um, not just Seahawks, <laughs> but yes. Um, but we, but it's Paul's, Paul's greatest concern is the representation of Christ to the world. And the church is meant to be the greatest expression of that. Yep. And when, and he called out throughout the entire Corinthian letters that we have, he called out their dysfunction. He called out their problems that he called everything out because he was concerned with the reality that the church presents to the world around it and how it can be a hindrance to Christ and not a help to Christ. We're supposed to be a a light. We're supposed to be like a city on a hill like that. That's what Jesus desires his church to be. And division like this. Little petty things, division hinders the, the the illumination of of hope and truth of Christ. Mm-hmm. So our job is is meant to be a light. We can't allow petty little things to be divisive. That's what that was what was Paul was concerned with. Um, so when it comes to like the example, if there was a punch up in the lobby, right? Um, there's a certain process to that. If it's between two believers, yeah, there's a mediation that needs to happen. If it's like two real believers in Christ, like we have a, we have a church that is, um, that has been young in faith for the majority of its years that I've been a part of it. I've been here over nine years. Um, and, and so there's, there's this layer of you, we have people who are not believers yet that come in and if the, I could, I can picture when you say punch up, not that I've seen it happen, but I can picture like a potential scenario like that, right. where there's a certain process that we have in place to provide a safe environment for everybody in attendance. 
Um, but if there's two believers, like if, if there's two strong believers in Christ that are getting into it over some simple dispute, yeah, I think I think the some of the pastoral leadership, I think some of the security team, like we will step in and help mediate the situation, and 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 with the goal of reconciliation, with the goal of um, peace to be established and order to be established. Um, but I think there are certain cases that require the right authorities to be in. Mm -hmm. um, again, I think Paul's biggest concern is suing, is, is defrauding. Um, and I, I think that he, his heart and his concern is, is the unity of the, of the body, which presents the greatest light to shine freely. Um, and so in the practical sense, what should I do? I think it's, it's we've gotta be prayerful, we've gotta be wise, and we've got to be d diligent to offer grace, as you already said, Evan. I think we got to offer the grace, um, and but we also got to be humble. And sometimes it's just not worth. And that's where Paul gets into that point. Mm -hmm. Like, isn't it better to just be defrauded for the sake of Christ? Um, in some respects, yeah. I think I, we see it pl play out in different ways. But at the end of the day, we'll take the heat as an organization and a team. I can't tell you how many times Pastor Nick has said this. Like, he's like, I'll just eat crow. I'll take the heat, even though there's a whole lot more that I could say to justify. Right the course that is I've been misconstrued or I've been drugged through the mud or I've been, um, but it's at the end of the day, it's like, it's just better to just let them have their two cents, I guess, pun intended, not really, uh, but let them have their peace. Um, and, and our heart is to honor Christ as much as we can. Um, leadership is not easy. <laughs> Following Jesus is not easy, but at the end of the day, the goal in the heart that we, we carry should be, how do I illuminate Christ in this moment? Right. It doesn't mean that we're taken advantage of all the time. Um, but I, it's it's kind of an ambiguous answer, but at the same time, we have to be prayerful and discerning. Yeah, I love it. Uh, when you were talking, my alliteration mind went off, and I was thinking, next time you say, instead of saying division does uh, stops the illumination of Christ, just say division darkens. Ooh. Boom, two Ds right next to each other. Dude, the, the Ed and Gary inside. I was going to tell you that they were rubbing off on you. They're bro. on. They're on my shoulders. Right I'm waiting now. for the next time you lead communion to just use a lot of alliteration as you're leading us. Just in every single sentence. Yeah. And speaking, I think you're speaking soon. Maybe. Ooh, exciting. All right. Anyway, that wraps it up for another episode. Good question. Of, good, good question. Absolutely. Of let's read the Bible. Uh, just as a reminder, we are a resource of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can go online. You can find our archive of past messages, past podcast episodes, and our Life and Men blog. So all of that is good stuff. Um, also, if this ministry has blessed you and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the top right-hand corner. Yeah. Thank you for your generosity. If you do, have a great day. See you.